Pitch Deck Asia. Your story, your words. We're live. This is Pitch Deck Asia. We're back. And we're back with the duo from Singapore. We're talking about Smooth and the journey of Smooth, a startup that may be new to some of you, but hopefully this is a journey that you might want to be part of in many different formats. So my name is Graham Brown. This is Pitch Deck Asia. We showcase some of the most interesting and exciting startups in Asia. So I'm joined by two of my esteemed guests from Smooth. We've got Michael Tan and Derek Yo joining us in the virtual studio today. Gentlemen, welcome to Pitch Deck Asia. Thank you. Thank you, Graham. In Singapore, and you're both local Singaporean lads. What's the story? You're both brought up here. Where were you educated? Maybe, Derek, you can talk a little bit about that first, a bit of backstory on yourself. Sure. Uh, actually, my parents in the 60s went to Australia they studied there, they got married, they worked there. And so I was actually born in Melbourne, in Australia. Oh, okay. Uh, but I was brought up, well, I came, they came back when I was just six months old. So I was actually entirely brought up in Singapore. Uh, but I did my university uh, in Australia uh, and I did a year in the UK afterwards uh, mm-hmm. for my master's. But most of my career has actually been in Singapore, but uh, doing regional kind of roles. Yeah. So that's kind of a quick summary. Yeah, it's a good summary as well. A good, especially that's going to lead us into what we're talking about today and the sector that we're talking about as well. Michael, yourself, what's the story? Okay, Derek and I actually came from the same school, so we miss each other, but um, uh, we're, we're still still very proud alumni of the same school. Uh, and I, I went to school at uh, university in the US, so I uh, got back and uh, to Singapore and got my first job actually in Beijing. So I spent most of my uh, career actually in the greater China region. So I got back to Singapore maybe like, like five years back and, and uh, in one of those uh, classmates uh, gatherings, I, I met Derek and then together with one of my other co-founders, I mean, we, 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 we uh, got together and tried to do something together. Hmm. So you are, I mean, I noticed on your, your resume is that you're actually in, Beijing, not you're not a sort of a latecomer. A lot of people have moved to China in recent years, haven't they, because of the tech boom? But you were there quite early, weren't you? Uh, 1994. Yeah, exactly. That was before you know China was a thing when we're talking about tech and startups, right? It was a long before. Yeah, way before that. So I think back in those days, um, there, there, I mean, they were trying to attract a lot of uh, foreigner and a lot of uh, say foreign investments into China. So. That was uh, way before the boom time. So I think the first 10 years I was there, um, the businesses that uh, I was involved in, nobody made money. So it's just um, trying to, to plant a flag and then and, and trying to establish a presence there in China in the early days. Mm-hmm. Money yeah. burning time, yeah. Exactly. A lot of lessons learned the hard way, I bet, as well. So, oh, yeah. Tell me well, about it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, they didn't have the kind of capital that they have these days as well. So it was a lot more of a grind, I bet, for the companies involved in China back then. So this sort of leads us up into the startup we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about Smooth. So um, there's a bit of a backstory there, which I think sort of gives it a bit of a flavor as to why you are the right guys for this. So Derek, help us understand before we jump into the pitch deck, what is Smooth? So I think uh, one, one, one thing about Smooth is that uh, we, having traveled uh, extensively throughout Asia and of course with Michael working in, in China previously, uh, we've come to understand that along the whole customer journey, uh, of a traveler, um, whether 
for, especially for people coming out of China, there are a lot of different points along the journey in which um, perhaps there are uh, solutions or people that are addressing some of those, but actually no one person has actually come together to bring all these into one single place. And I think that's what we are unique uh, in, in terms of identifying uh, the whole customer journey, uh, plugging some pain points and then making the, the journey a smooth one, hence the name, um, a, a seamless kind of uh, experience in which the, the, the traveling can really be experienced you know, without all the hassles of the little things that, that need to be done pre, post or in, in the destination. Mm. Got it. So it's aimed at Chinese travelers from mainland China, right? That's how I understand it. We're going to have a look at the pitch deck now. Um, it's really interesting because, A, obviously, where we are today with the travel market. So there's a few questions I've got to ask you about that. and then, But also this sort of macro trend about the Chinese middle class. You know, you're backing a wave which is only getting a lot bigger. I mean, you look at the latest data from the Future of Asia report by McKinsey. They're saying two-thirds of the world's middle class will be living in Asia by the end of this decade. I mean, those numbers are phenomenal. And a big chunk of that is China as well. So obviously, this is a growing market. And what you've identified is probably a number of pain points in this market, i.e. there is a real discontinuity in that consumer journey, that traveler's journey, literally, and you know, with all the digital assets as well. So let's sort of dive in. I, one, let's get the pitch deck up. And if you look at slide two, this is a, a basic definition of what Smooth is. Helping tourists plan and manage their travel. And we want, let's jump to the, the slide seven where we can actually see the market that you're in. Because I like to understand when we look at pitch decks, the size of the problem that you're solving effectively. Um, what are you seeing now? So put this into context and bear in mind, some people might be listening to this so they can't see this data, Derek. So tell us what the key headline stats are for the Chinese tourist markets. And also, I think the follow-on question is, does this make sense right now in the middle of the pandemic? You know, when travel seems to be something that is, you know, obviously mainly just focused on domestic tourism in China, but, you know, international travel seems to have a question mark over it right now. So start with the top level stats. What do we need to know about Chinese tourism? So I think um, one of the things that we definitely want to uh, tap on is, as you say, the big um, middle class uh, that is coming out of China. I mean, for so many years, um, the Chinese have been, in a sense, internally building up their wealth. They've also been getting to know the world that's around them. And we've seen wave after wave of Chinese tourists that have come out um, to, to, to travel all around the world. And, and actually, Singapore is one of the top destinations. Although we are such a small little country, uh, we're one of the top destinations for Chinese tourists um, coming out uh, when, they are, when they are traveling. So, and when they come and when they travel, these tourists um, spend a lot of money, actually. Uh, it, it, I, I used to work in STV, in the Singapore Tourism Board. And uh, one of the one of the key sort of uh, metrics that we like to look at is what we call tourism receipts, um, in which when, when a tourist comes here, they spend money on the hotel, on travel, obviously on food and dining, buying souvenirs, um, going to you know, an attraction or buying uh, a, a sporting event, etc. So 
that's one of the metrics that we are very, very keen to um, look at. So for the Chinese tourists coming to Singapore, um, on average, each of them spend about a thousand, uh, probably close to 2,000 bucks per person. Um, so what we're saying is, as, as uh, Smooth, um, our company, what we're trying to do is capture a little portion of that spend um, by giving them a truly seamless experience in which um, then you know, we can tap, tap on some of these things and, and grow, obviously, um, even the tourism spend. Because if they find it more convenient to buy something or to experience something, then it's likely that they will you know, yeah, make the purchase or make the purchase decision uh, an, an easier one or uh, less friction kind of thing. Uh, so last year, for example, there were some 400 million outbound trips made by um, Chinese tourists out of China. Uh, and that's, um, oh, sorry, uh, there was 150, but that is set to grow to something like about 400 by the year 2030. Of course, uh, in today's context, there is a pandemic around us. But by every single um, study that we've seen, and of course, just anecdotally talking to people, um, everyone just can't wait for this thing to be over. <laughs> and for us to get back to, you know, some sense of normalcy, and, it, it, and we're not talking about the so-called new normal, but really uh, the normal thing as in people traveling uh, to experience different cultures and different, uh, you know, sceneries and, and food and whatever kind of thing. And in fact, in the recent uh, Golden Week holiday in China, um, we saw the pent-up demand of travel in China. Um, some, you know, some of these people, because they're nowhere else to go, all headed straight to Hainan Island. So I have, uh, I have a friend who works in the Marriott Hotel, uh, and he said that every single hotel room in Hainan was completely booked out, and nobody could get a room. So everyone was traveling to these um, you know, resort places uh, because there's nowhere else to go and not, nothing else they could do. Um, so we, we believe that at this time, it's actually a very, very good time in which we can build up um, our app and our uh, experience so that when the demand comes back, which we think will happen in probably nine months, six months, or maybe even a year, um, there will be this market and, uh, and it will actually be a huge wave and I think Singapore is actually in a very good place to tap on this because we are one of those countries which uh, has handled the pandemic um, quite responsibly, I would say, and our numbers are very well in check uh, and we don't have a second, third wave uh, coming on. So I think that's something that um, we, we will uh, benefit from in terms of uh, receiving this wave of Chinese tourists when they come out again. There's been a few uh, media articles covering Golden Week, and there's this phenomenon called revenge tourism as well. I don't know if you can, I mean, for those who aren't sort of in your industry, is this what we're talking about? There's sort of pent up demand inside China, and now they're, you know, they're taking revenge on the fact that they've been locked up for so many months, and now they're going to go and spend all their money as some kind of therapy. Yeah, this revenge sort of uh, tag was also used for revenge shopping. So after the, the lockdown in April, uh, when, when even within China, when the, when the lockdown sort of um, eased, uh, the sales in um, luxury goods and, and just you know, shopping in uh, key cities like Shanghai and Beijing went absolutely through the roof. Uh, so people were just revenge shopping as well. So I think, yeah, it's just a matter of how um, people really itching to do something. And, you know, traveling, 
has always been throughout history, something that we've always wanted to do to explore. I mean, that's where Christopher Columbus went somewhere, that's where Marco Polo went somewhere. I mean, that's in our DNA, can I say. So um, I think it will be um, restored. It's just a matter of time. And what we want to do is make uh, it so seamless for them and so attractive that uh, we're going to receive um, uh, a huge boost and, and we're going to ride that way uh, at least for the next few years. Got it. So before we talk about the, um, the platform and the solutions that you have, can we build a pen profile, if you like, using advertising speak of who these Chinese tourists are? Because you've both got sort of different experiences. Michael, having worked on mainland in the mainland for, you know, from pre-tourism era, I'm sure as well. So you've seen probably waves of tourists, like different generations. They tend to sort of come in different characters where you have maybe the first wave of tourists all tour as a group and they're sort of from tier one cities. And then you now sort of see a later wave where you get these tourists who are still touring as a group, but they come from tier two cities, so they dress differently and so on. What's going on at the moment? What's the pen profile of Chinese tourists coming to Singapore or, you know, pre-pandemic and also what you expect post-pandemic? Are they tours? Are they, you know, what parts of China are they coming from? Um, you know, and give us an idea of what they're doing whilst they're here. Um, I, I think you've, you've correctly identified um, the, the kind of wave, uh, waves that have occurred so far. Um, so these days, or just pre-pandemic, um, there are still actually kind of two kind of this, a bit more distinct kind of uh, travelers. So yes, they are the more sophisticated travelers coming out of um, your first, first and tier cities or sec first, second tier cities. Uh, and they now are less inclined to be just, you know, catching a, a big coach and, and, and going with a big tour group. Uh, there's more likely for them to be um, what we call free independent travelers or FITs, um, maybe in a small group, maybe in a, a family, or maybe just a couple of friends uh, coming together. Uh, but with, with the third, fourth tier cities, um, there will still probably be uh, more, still some more of these tourists who haven't yet explored uh, outside of China um, to come to somewhere like Singapore. So there's still probably two types, if I can call them big groups, group, big group types of, of travelers that are coming um, here. Yes. So even that second wave as well, that is probably as large as the first one, even though, you know, economically they may have less money coming from tier two, three, four cities the numbers are just phenomenal and they're touring in groups as well. Still, as you say, it's their first time. And so maybe they, they reach out for somebody who can create that more of a seamless experience for them. So let, let's have a look. If we can get the pitch deck up on slide 10, there's an interesting landscape that you've built. So what I'm going to ask you is help us describe the travel solutions landscape. If you will, you've built this quadrant as well, um, you know, which is talking about, how I suppose tourists from China are using different apps and then also where you fit into this basis based on the fact that what, what is it that they're not doing and what are you doing that these platforms aren't doing or, you know, do you sync with these platforms? Do you plug in? So help us understand the whole landscape of apps for Chinese tourists first. And then let's dive into yours. Okay. Um, if I can say, some of the more 
familiar apps that most people would be, um, you know, have seen would be, for example, say Alipay, uh, WeChat, or and WeChat Pay, um, and and for specifically for Chinese, and so that those those apps, um, whether you are actually Chinese or Singaporean, you you would know those two. Those are very very um, familiar with a lot of people, uh, but. For the Chinese, they have other apps in which maybe are not so popular in Singapore um, uh, because they are specifically targeted at Chinese, um, uh, the, the Chinese population. So people like Ma Feng Wo uh, is one, C-Trip, um, Xiao Hong Shu. So some of these uh, different apps uh, which occupy, and, 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 so in the quadrant that we've actually developed there, so some of these apps um, take care of what is known as the payment or transactional uh, type of um, part of the journey. So if you want to buy something and you want to pay, you probably use whip up your phone and pay with your Alipay or you pay with your WeChat pay. Maybe if you wanted some information about a certain place and you wanted inspiration, you might look at Xiaohongshu, which is kind of like an Instagram uh, equivalent. Um, kind of thing so you might go in there and look at some pictures or images or you might um, look at some of the other apps in which you can plan uh, and buy your tickets for example like sea trip you can book a hotel buy your, your plane ticket to come to singapore so each of them has some part of the customer journey down pat and a lot of them do them very well at you know at, at, at a very deep level um, but there is no one app currently that actually ties pretty much all of these different things together. So um, you, can, you, have, you can have an app that gives you inspiration. You can have an app that possibly gives you ideas for itinerary. You can have an app that you, know, you can pay something with. You can have an app in which you can um, get in, uh, some insights into the local um, scene. But there isn't one app that does all of these things in one place. And that's where we come in. So we are an app that actually helps you in the pre-planning process in where we give you ideas, inspiration uh, with the content that we have, the images that we have, we're going to have some gorgeous, awesome sort of um, content and then images to inspire people. Um, and then when you think about getting here, so what, what are the kind of itineraries that you want to create? What are the things that you really do want to see? So according to your interests, you, will, you can, we can then help you in terms of creating an, an itinerary that, that will be suited to what you want to do. Um, also, we'll give suggestions. Uh, you know, these are things that people um, similar to you have bought. You may be like an Amazon recommendation engine. So some, some, uh, someone like you has gone to see this, 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 or has bought this, 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 or they, they said that this, this, this was really good kind of thing. So uh, we'll have those kinds of engines sitting be behind as well. And then if you want to go, so we've given you an inspiration and you say, for example, you want to go to uh, the Gardens by the Bay then we'll tell you within our app how to get there from where you are. So we will have a navigation sort of um, uh, portion of the app, which tells you how to get there. Maybe it's by taxi, maybe it's by bus or MRT. Um, and then how about, would you like to book a ticket for the, the, um, the attraction? And then you can actually purchase the ticket um, through the app. And then when you get there, you know, we will give you ideas about how you can maximize your time there. And afterwards, of course, you can share um, your experience on the app so that other people can actually um, benefit from it. So once enough users do this as well, number one, we're going to have a whole lot of user-generated content. And number two, this will feed into our AI, our artificial intelligence engine, 
uh, which will then better capture all this information and then pass it out to future people who are looking for similar inspiration. Hmm. So something like that. Got it. You've got a case study in your um, pitch deck. Um, maybe we can have a look at it from that perspective because that gives us an idea of how this sort of journey works together. Um, there's, uh, I'll flash up a number of slides and then you can tell us where you want to start with this. So I'm going to do this in a non-sequential order. In slide 11, you have effectively what is the journey of you know a traveler and you talked about all those kind of different touch points that they have like you know they go to gardens by the bay and then maybe they want to see the light show and then maybe they want to eat at wherever it may be around there okay so that's a sort of typical it's very fragmented and then you've also got the case study which i think is with t union correct if we have a look at slides four and six and maybe we can just look at slide four first go up to that one so you basically this is an example of how you're building this pre in and post journey so you break it down i guess like the research that happens beforehand the booking what happens when you're there and then how you're sharing it afterwards which is a, a key part of this as well isn't it how you're then giving them a platform and a megaphone to share all this with their friends okay so the question i'll ask is how does this actual app work in China? Do you sit on top of the WeChat platform? Help us understand it technically first, and then we'll sort of dive in and look at how all this works. So uh, one of our key partners uh, for this um, project uh, is the China's China Tea Union. So Tea Union is um, the equivalent of Singapore's um, kind of like our easy link. Um, so they, they actually have a whole bunch of... Uh, well, it's, a, it's, it's like a, a platform in which people use to pay for their traveling uh, transport, local transport uh, in, in China. Uh, currently, in every city in China, they kind of have their own bus companies or MRTs, and you have to have a local uh, transport card, so to speak. So if you're in Beijing, you have a Beijing card. In Shanghai, you have one. Uh, so China Tea Union is, is uh, going to, in the, in the next year, um, basically standardize all these systems so that they, every one of them are going to sit on this one common platform. So they may have a local component to it, but all of them are going to have a, a, a common platform, which is China's Tea Union. So China Tea Union is our strategic partner uh, in, in this project. And part of um, our cooperation is that we will be able to tap on all the users that China Tea Union has. So we're talking of millions of users that already have the China Tea Union um, card and, and are familiar with China Tea Union. So it's a matter of telling these guys um, who are familiar with China Tea Union in China to say, hey, we now have an app and it's a native standalone app. So we're not sitting on a WeChat platform. Um, that you can use when you go to somewhere like, say, Singapore. So at this first stage, we are, of course, um, launching in Singapore. But subsequently, um, we could easily replicate this in Malaysia, in Thailand, in Indonesia, uh, throughout Southeast Asia. Right. What's the problem now? When Because when, I would ask, you know, if I was looking at this and, you know, you both know the nature of the Chinese market is that, you know, whether it's Meituan or it's Tencent, their sort of mindset is to own the whole journey. You know, they'll start by food delivery and then, you know, they'll add in another service and another service until you've got this completely, you know, 
enveloping Uber app. So when you look at travel, for example, I know Alibaba, I've got Fliggy, and you've got all these platforms emerging. Is the issue that they're not here? Is the issue because when they come to Singapore that their sort of native ecosystem kind of breaks down a little bit? Or is it just because they're not thinking in those terms? Why, why is it that you can solve this and somebody hasn't thought of this yet in China? What's, what's that sort of advantage that you have? Graham, you're uh, totally correct. So uh, people like C-Trip or even Ma Fong Wo or, or people like Tuneo, they've been around for uh, many years. So, but uh, the, the, the key thing is they are very focused on doing one thing, which is uh, the big ticket items, the uh, airfares and the hotel. So I think those things translate into revenue faster. But, you know, what these guys are not able to do is to be able to provide what we call in-journey services. So, you know, what they do is uh, they sell uh, the air tickets, they sell the hotels, and then when you land a destination, okay, sorry, dude, it's, you're on your own. So they don't take care of that because those things will require a lot of um, uh, information. So in China right now, a lot of people are leveraging on UGC. So letting uh, users generate contents that can be useful for other users. So those things are, are what we call you know, blind leading the blind. So from our perspective, we want to um, use us to be able to get content from a local friend. So that's that's where we're coming from. So from a local perspective, so we're, uh, your, I would say that we are your uh, local companion. So that's the, way the, 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 the anchor that we're coming in from, from a local perspective. So a local will be able to tell you uh, where to have a good, uh, say, Hainan chicken rice or, or, or good, um, say, char kway teow or whatever. Those things that... Um, are more local rather than touristy, um, uh, I would say, recommendations. So that's where we're coming in from. That's the angle that we are targeting. And I think no matter how big Sea Trip is or, or Ma Fong Wo or, or Tunu, this is something which is not interesting because it requires a lot of uh, input and a lot of, uh, say, local groundwork, which they are not able to do. Yeah, so that's where we are. And that's our key point of differentiation. Mm. I always thought like the, the large macro opportunities in this decade, especially when you look at, you know, the Asian middle class, are those people who that are boundaryless that operate between markets and bridge markets. And it's easier said than done because, like you say, for a Chinese platform, the, the returns domestically are so high and the it's a very comfortable market for them. They can make a lot of money domestically and get that market worked out. But to send somebody to Singapore and spend time there and like, you know, really understand the locals, it's beyond their, their sort of comfort zone. So really where the missing links are in that sort of macro middle class opportunity are people who sort of understand both markets and can operate between them. And I think that's not just having technology, but it's also a cultural thing as well. And that's why, you know, with Derek and Michael is that with your backgrounds, that's something that I would have thought a lot of people in China don't have. Like they can kind of understand the need of a Chinese customer and they can understand the need of a Singaporean, um, you know, retailer. And all they can understand all these kind of different perspectives. And really, that's kind of where these large platforms, I feel, break down. Like, even if you look, for example, at the payment systems, they're like, they're really good domestically. But when they start taking them globally, you know, the, it becomes a lot harder for these, these companies to make progress. And so I feel like, 
you know, you have this opportunity, these gaps effectively that operate in the market um, because it's so profitable for C-Trip or so profitable for um, all, all those sort of 10 cent type platforms in China just to focus on that market, just to focus locally. So it, it's an interesting opportunity, I feel, for you. And I feel that, you know, the challenge now is is how do you validate this? Because you are operating between multiple markets. You know, you have to not only build one side of the market here in Singapore, but you've also got to reach out to those customers in China as well. So tell us a little bit about the plan for the rollout here. Where, where are you with staging now? Where are you going to be next year? And what are your milestones and goalposts with this validation? Okay, I, I think just dialing back a little bit of, of and, and responding to what you said um, earlier, I think um, you're completely right. And Singapore, I think, uh, historically has occupied a very strategic um, location, not just physically and geographically, but also in terms of, um, you know, at a, at a kind of intellectual level, because we really stand uh, at the, the kind of um, inflection point between really truly Asian sort of um, and also being very, very Western. And, and we also have a fantastic reputation with China in terms of, um, you know, the, the government relationship, but also being a very, very safe and easy to travel kind of uh, destination for a lot of Chinese tourists. But as you said, many of these guys uh, operating out of China um, may not, what, whatever they have may not translate so well outside. And certainly they don't have that local uh, input. Uh, it's difficult for them to really give uh, the Chinese tourists a very, very uh, authentic experience when they come here or for that matter, you know, to Malaysia or to wherever else that, that they go to. So I think this is where we are going to hopefully differentiate ourselves. We are going to be a very, very content-rich uh, platform where we do provide very genuine, authentic experiences in which uh, these tourists and more and more of them are going to appreciate because it's it's not just about, oh, uh, can I just um, have a very good chicken rice or whatever kind of thing, but it's how do I get there? Why is it good? Well, why is it that the locals like it? And, and is it something that, you know, um, that would, would um, suit a Chinese sort of a tourist taste kind of thing? Um, okay, in terms of where we are now, uh, we are frantically, so speaking to that, we're frantically generating this content uh, even as we speak. Um, so we have a lot of people on the ground, you know, uh, writing stuff, uh, doing, doing stuff that we think um, will be interesting. We're validating it. We are reviewing it. We are editing and re-editing. We're checking um, our sources. We are, we are seeing, are these things the things that are really going to resonate? And are these things the things that will really translate to people wanting to come to our platform to find out more? And then they, they can be then part of our, our whole ecosystem. So, so we are at a content building stage uh, for one, on one side. Secondly, uh, on, the, on the actual app, we're also uh, working very hard uh, to produce um, a really fantastic app uh, that will be um, you know, easy to use, simple, um, and basically something that you, you can bring along with you as a companion, as, as um, Michael mentioned earlier. We really want this app to be like a 
silent companion, but someone you can just immediately consult if you need something or you want to go somewhere or you want to find out something and, and we will be able to give you that. I mean, something so simple, for example, as navigation. For most Chinese coming out of China, uh, they can't even install Google Maps on their phone. So how are they going to get around? Uh, I mean, with that kind of thing. So that, that is already one immediate uh, pain point that we're going to solve. We're going to have a full-fledged 3D map generated, uh, 3D map kind of uh, navigation system where you really can find stuff and we can actually point you to other things that are near you. We can even push um, promotion deals that people uh, might be interested, people like you might be interested in uh, either because of your previous purchase or maybe because of people similar to you, that kind of thing. So, uh, so we're working on the app development piece. We're also working on the content piece. Um, in terms of actual raw, we are hoping by the end of this year, we'll have a kind of like a version 0 0.5 um, where there will be a whole bunch of content. Um, and then we are going to use that obviously to do some testing, etc. cetera. Um, we're going to have a pretty good version of the app probably by the middle of next year um, or somewhere around there. And we are also expecting by then, hopefully some tourist um, travelers to start coming so that, so that we can um, already start seeing how this, how people interact with the app and how it's going to really work and how, you know, whether it's going to, it, you know, where are things that we need to tweak, where are things we need to, you know, add or subtract or whatever kind of thing. What's the, what's the first sort of validation that you'll be doing with 0 0.5? What, what's the hypothesis you're testing? Is it that will people pay for the app? Is it will that retailers will pay to advertise? Is it what sort of one of those key validations that you can share with us? Okay, so, so one of the validations would be um, how, how would people uh, interact with the app? So I think that's one key thing. So a lot of people um, may have a fantastic content-rich or you know, feature-rich uh, app. There are many apps out there like that, but people find it clunky to use. People just, it's not intuitive. It's not, you know, um, uh, I, I guess, easy to navigate. So I think one, one first thing that we must uh, want to validate would be the UI the, and the UX um, on, on how users are going to interact with the app. So we are going to really monitor how people s swap between pages, how they're going to find out things or not find things, etc. So that, that would be one key validation. And then, of course, we're going to test a couple of features. It won't be the full feature list, but some of the features that we are going to push out first. So some of those we're also going to test. Yeah, it's going to be one of those, I think in the early days, it's going to be like that one thing it does that people use it for because you've probably got a potential feature list of a hundred different things that a shopping list of what people want. Don't tell that to my product guy. Yeah, I mean, that's, well, that's, your, that's your job. <laughs> to kind of like, okay, you've got a hundred, we're just going to focus on this one. Right? I mean, that, that's the challenge any startup founder faces, right? I, I would, you know, I'm, I'm really fascinated by what you're doing. And I, I, I know we haven't, I haven't asked you, but just to get it out of the way, how does it make money? And then, then I want to talk a little bit about sort of a bit more of the backstory, but what was the, the model? Is that being validated now? Is it going to be driven by advertising? Is it um, driven by, you know, uh, a subscription model? What, how does it work? There's a few couple of, or a couple of revenue streams. So firstly, um, we're going to allow, obviously, as I said earlier, users to buy and book tickets or, to, to, to attractions or to activities and tours. So you will get some commission or affiliate uh, kind of um, commissions from that. So that's one stream. 
Secondly, um, in terms of advertising, um, so um, as I said earlier, being at a certain place at, at, at this time, maybe Starbucks is having a promotion or maybe somebody else is doing something, we'll be able to push deals um, to our customers um, or our users. Uh, and of course, those we can uh, probably make some money off. Um, and, and then thirdly, I think it's also just um, people using the app and then helping us to um, get more and more people on the platform for, for that app to be even more useful. Um, because I think it's really about um, making it a, a useful companion. Because if it's useful, the, the money, I guess, will come in. Yeah, um, if it's not, fact, you've got data it's not going to happen. Yeah. Tourists, that's valuable to a lot of people, right? The question is, is like, you know, how, how big can you scale that and how in-depth that data is? Oh, oh, sorry. And one other thing what we are also thinking of uh, would be interesting would be because a lot of tourists come here, as Michael said earlier, they may not know um, or they may not have time to go and buy. So, for example, you came here, you were told that um, Selangor Pewter has a really nice pewter. Rices has a very nice um you know, gold dipped orchid. And then there's this really nice uh, barbecue pork. And then there's this Bagawan um, Solo chiffon cake. So there's a whole bunch of different things that you could buy potentially uh, to bring back home uh, after your, your trip. Uh, and sometimes you just don't have time to do all these things. So we are potentially exploring also curating a bunch of things in which we know uh, from our interactions with um, customers and with retailers and, and with our partners, what are the things that Chinese tourists um, are looking for? And in, and once we establish that, we can create actually packages so that before you even come to Singapore, say, you can purchase this and we can actually send it to your hotel so that the moment you arrive, you have this little basket of goods um, just specially curated for you. Uh, and so, of course, that, that will be... Um, an interesting experience and of course a revenue stream as well so that that's another thing that we're, we're thinking of doing yeah i like that idea i mean if you've been to any airport in asia and you go to the 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 vat office and you just see the lines of chinese tourists there they're all you know checking in their staff or they're picking up their staff there's a really interesting market there for the even the after travel as well the post you know where they go back to China and they want, they missed, like you say, they missed something. Like I didn't pick up that thing. And that could then become like a memory box or something that they could then buy as a memory or, you know, those opportunities are missed, I think, because like you say, people just focus on the big ticket items. Um, there's a great story. Uh, I think it was last year that Ali, Ali Baba, so through, I think it was through, uh, the Tmall or one of their sort of like platforms in Thailand gave local durian sellers the opportunity to sell dur durian to Chinese consumers. And these, like, obviously these durian sellers are farmers. So, you know, they don't have distribution and they put them all on this platform and then they sold 20,000 of these Montong durians in 60 seconds. The whole thing sold out. Can you imagine those kind of sales for a, a you know, a, syndicate of farmers it's just crazy that's like a year's worth of business in 60 seconds so this i mean yeah the, for those that don't know durians aren't you know like a five dollar item these are expensive so you know that 
is the pent up demand there. But I want to ask you both really is that, you know, here's the devil's advocate question is that, you know, you guys have got to be nuts surely to start a travel startup in the middle of the pandemic. I'm sure, you know, in years to come, you'll be that case study that said, we did it right in the middle of the time when everybody was looking at this market thinking, well, I don't know, you know, but we started it and we proved it. Why would you do this? It's, surely there's much easier things to focus on right now, you know, that you could sell to the market. Why do you choose this? Uh, Michael, maybe you try first and then I also have something I want to say. Yeah, definitely. I think um, every uh, crisis presents an, an opportunity. So I think, you know, in most uh, instances, uh, whether it's the Asian crisis or the financial uh, crisis uh, globally, um, you know, a lot of people wiped out big boys are wiped up and guess what? It creates um, all these opportunities for the small boys. So I think we're just in the right place at the right time. I think the uh, time is just perfect. So in fact, uh, talking about Chinese tourists, uh, last night, um, Singapore government actually has a, um, a new policy to open up the borders to Chinese tourists. So starting from uh, November 6th, Chinese tourists actually can come into Singapore just by taking a a swap test and then don't, don't have to go through the quarantine process. So I think this is uh, the perfect uh, timing, just perfect. That's exciting because it's a swab test now, but in a few months, it's going to be an air yeah. corridor free travel. Okay. So that's when all your competitors are going to start saying, oh, yeah. oh, you want to get into this market. <laughs> Tough tips. <laughs> <already> too late. <laughs> Derek, what about yourself? Yeah, he's exactly. That's the point. Derek, what about yourself? How do you answer that question? Because I'm sure it comes up in conversation. And, you know, we, as entrepreneurs, we always have these questions in our head, like, am I doing the right thing? You know, because it, it can be tough, right? You know, starting a business, especially in the middle of a pandemic. How about yourself? Surely you, you thought this through. I think to start any business or to be an entrepreneur, you have to be a little bit mad because because it's, it's not the well-trodden path, right? It, it, I mean, you can just go get a job and do something. I, I think that's true of, of, of every entrepreneur, especially those that succeed and even those that don't. Uh, because you, you, it's always that curiosity and that desire and the passion that drives you to do something a little bit different or to see the world a, a little bit different. If I look at all uh, a whole bunch of, I mean, if you, if you Google it, you, you probably can find a whole bunch of examples of companies that started uh, in the middle of a whole lot of crisis. So Airbnb is one of them. Even Microsoft started when, during the oil embargo crisis. So a lot of companies um, started in, in times which were maybe contrary to, you know, to, to what, what most people might think. Because if times were good, a lot of people would not want to start something because they're already comfortable doing whatever it is. So it's really also in times of um, difficulty or challenges in which your mind then starts to think, oh, what else can I do? How else can I make a difference? And, and what is this new thing that I can uh, maybe change the world just a teeny little bit uh, if I could? So uh, I think what we have here is an opportunity to do something uh, that is different and could add value and we can make some money out of it. And we have a bunch of people here who are very passionate about um, China. We're also passionate about travel. And we're also passionate about uh, making the customer journey a, a smooth one. Um, so, so I think that's, that's what we have. Yeah, no, it's a good point to end on. And, you know, I, I, I look at this story and, it, for example, if, if Michael is talking about this opening up of the borders with Chinese customers and then you're going to see this revenge tourism come to Singapore and it's going to be the, the yes, it's going to be the default 
starting point, you know, because it's safe. It's got a good track record on COVID. So, so and, you know, it, it's an easy jumping off point for a lot of Chinese tourists. So it's going to be the first place they bring all their revenge and their, their money. And it's going to be interesting because like in time, it seemed obvious, you know, in 2021, it's going to be a boom market potentially. And you're going to see all these startups like yourself, if you're in the game, going to rise with that rising tide. And what people will forget was that you were there before it was like that. And so I, you know, this is why I think documenting it now is because if we had this conversation next year, it's almost like you're opportunist. Like you were there, the market's big. It seems like an easy killing to get in as a startup and make money out of it. But everybody, like you talk about Microsoft and Airbnb, everybody forgets about the graveyard shifts that these companies put in. They started when like everybody was looking at it and thinking, you guys are nuts. And the problem is, is nobody documented that. They weren't out there in those days. It was all kind of off the radar. And then, you know, it's the survivor bias, isn't it? The ones that survived. Everybody's, oh, these are great. These are genius. But everybody forgets that they were there before the whole market kicked off, you know, because they had this conviction that this was the right thing to do. You know, I, I um, in a conversation with Tony Fernandez from AirAsia, now that we're talking about travel, he said that when he bought the airline, only 6% of Malaysians were flying. And everybody looked at him and thinking, you're nuts. But like you say, you've got to be a little bit crazy because you don't think like everybody. Like you look at 6% and say, that's a very small market. There's no money there. Or you say that's a 94% opportunity, right? And I think that's how entrepreneurs think differently. So it's very interesting to see your journey. And hopefully this will become a time capsule that we'll have this conversation next year. <laughs> yes there'll be we'll talk about you know, remember that revenge tourism thing well you know remember when it was you know remember the pandemic so we'll have all of that hopefully and we'll, we'll look back with some sort of smugness and say yeah we were there before everybody else was piling into this market i mean hence hence your platform i think it's a really good uh way to document this and and to you know give also startups a voice uh, in which they can actually reach out to you know people and, and let people know what they're doing Absolutely. It's inspirational as well that, you know, that gives people hope that now, now is the time not to kind of like retreat and defend, but to go out because there are, for those that are agile, there are more opportunities. And just to like, I'm finishing up, what are you guys looking for? Are you fundraising? Are you hiring? Are you looking for partners? And what do you want to get out there? Because I'm sure people in this sector are interested in what you're doing and you've got, you know, a, a following that's growing. What, what are your asks at the moment? All of the above. <laughs> so, <laughs> you now, are you, are you seed funded? Tell us a little bit, you know, are you, have you got an open round at the moment? So let's talk about that. So, I mean, we started this thing for almost a, a year already. So uh, primarily uh, funding from our own pocket. So we're putting my our money where our mouth is. So it's very important, I think, for uh, potential uh, investors who are coming on. So, you know, shows our commitment and, uh, we're in this thing for the wrong run. So we just started our our pre-A uh, round just uh, this month, in fact. So that's why we're re- putting together all the um, uh, investment memos and all the stuff and, you know, those things that uh, our investors require. So I said that we're in an open round. We just started. So anybody else um, out there who, uh, you know, can see the opportunity that we see, uh, most uh, welcome to, to, you know, talk to us. We'll be more than happy to, to uh, tell you more. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, in terms of the kind of conversations you want to have, and like some people just say, like, anybody with money? Or is it, you know... Who <laughs> 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 turns down money? Yeah, exactly. No, I'm kidding. But you, you may say it sometimes helps the, the other people focus on whether or not it's a relevant conversation to them. So, for example, it may be a corporate partner. It may be an individual who, you know, has like 20 years of, um, you know, hospitality experience, whatever it may be. Is there anything specifically that you are looking for? I think any form of uh, value adding always helps. So whether it's a corporate or, or somebody, an individual with a lot of experience in this, uh, say, industry. So I think, you know, any part of those uh, will be very uh, helpful for us. Okay, got it. All right, so we've done the fundraising. You are open and open to conversation. Um, so we'll share all the details as well. What about all the others? So hiring and partnerships. Tell us a little bit about that. So hiring specific, startups are always hiring, especially here in Singapore. It's tough to get talent. What are you looking for at the moment in particular? I think um, we're certainly looking for good engineers to join us. We're also looking for good content people uh, to be part of the team. And um, at, at this point, we're also uh, working on partnerships and key sort of uh, relationships. So there's definitely room for people to join us to do business development and partnership de- uh, partnerships uh, development kind of thing. So in pretty much these areas are the, are the key ones that we're looking at right now. Do they have, um, have experience in hospitality and travel? Um, I think experience would be useful, uh, but I think what we want more are people with the right attitude, people with passion, people that believe in the vision that we have and, and the opportunity, opportunity that's there and want to be part of this journey, uh, especially at the start where it can be rocky and you know things can change in the last minute or, or even the first minute. So I think that's what we are more keen on, uh, people with the right sort of mindset. Yeah. Right, right. Especially now, isn't it? That they understand what they're getting into when they join a startup. I yeah. Mean, yeah. Fun, but you got to understand that there's, there's two sides of it as well. What they're getting into, it's not going to be all, you know, like ball pits and slides in the offices. It's going to be a lot of hustle and grind, right? Oh, we have nice coffee here. <laughs> That's where you start. You're, you're on the road. What, what about the engineers as well? Anything specifically there? Because, you know, are you looking for full stack? Are you looking for app developers? Anything? Or is it more of a CTO type role or anything there that you can put out? Because, you know, there's lots of options on the market for engineers at the moment. Uh, I think various types, uh, but definitely more mobile centric rather than just web. Um, so, because I, I think... For us, we are definitely mobile first. So the customer experience or, you know, uh, has to be from a, definitely from a mobile perspective. Um, so, yeah. Okay, good. That's good to know because often, you know, a full stack developer web and a, a mobile app developer, often two different people, right? Very different, yes. Yeah. Okay, good. I think one of the good things about working with us is like um, we're very multicultural. So I think in our team right now, we have something like four different nationality. So... Uh, we have offices down in Wuhan. Yes, correct. You didn't hear wrong. It's yeah. Wuhan. So yeah. that's, uh, we have our uh, uh, small, uh, you know, dev team over there. And then we have our own uh, Chinese content team uh, in Northern China, in Changchun. And then, of course, we have a, a development team in uh, Indonesia right now. So hmm. a mix of different locations and different nationalities. So it's a, it's a, a smallish 
family with with uh, you know a lot of people with a uh, diverse backgrounds diverse um, uh, you know cultures so i think it's pretty interesting for everybody in, in terms of uh, joining some uh, a new startup with uh, a lot of energy and zest mm. i think that's, that's a, 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 a something which is quite critical for somebody joining us so if i was a a biz dev guy in chiang mai or an app developer in bali would you be interested in hearing from me call me <laughs> <laughs> yeah why not yeah i mean this, this is the situation we're in now it's like we don't all i mean obviously having an office is one thing but we don't all need to go to an office especially in your market you can reach out to a lot of talent now around asia because awesome yeah yes welcome okay. call me call me yeah, call no. me you put this it number out here right. Right. yeah well, the number's coming up now get yeah. ready for the <laughs> right room. below right below well, Michael and Derek, I've really enjoyed speaking to you, gentlemen. I think it was inspirational. Um, I feel like I've got on board a little bit with your journey as well. And I feel like I'm, I'm privileged to really be here as a part of an early stage insight into, you know, the, the first couple of chapters of the smooth journey as well. And excited to see what happens. You know, you are really betting on a, a very large macro trend in Asia. And it's a trend which really requires a very niche mindset to make it work, which is like somebody who has a number of things. Firstly, who has a very meta view of Asia, like is not just very good at China or very good at Singapore, has had that cross-cultural experience. You know, they didn't just go on holiday to China. They lived there or they went to Australia and studied there, for example. That's, that's a very, very small group of people. But that's a very, very key boundaryless skill right now. So that's one thing. But also, you know, having that sort of 15, 20 years of experience, which, you know, a 20-year-old startup founder might not have, which is that they understand that this is really about partnerships. And that's where the, the, the depth of experience is really going to play off as well. And then you've got on top of that, the, probably the subset of the subset of the subset in Singapore, which is everything you've said that this... You know, Singapore is a great gateway for this meta trend. It's, it's the juncture. I mean, it always has been since Lee Kuan Yew positioned it as this sort of juncture between East and West. Uh, that is culturally and economically positioned to benefit from this. So, you know, I'm on board officially. So I'm hopefully looking forward to seeing how this is going to pan out next year as well. It's exciting. So... Thank you so much. Do you want to put a word, a shout out to all your fans and followers and anybody that's watched the video as well? Sure. Vote for us. Obviously. Vote for Smooth. Yeah, vote for us. And come, come, come over and say hi sometime. Be good. Yeah. Just so like to meet people as well. You're in which part of Singapore? Because that was off air, but we talked about that. So. Oh, we, we sometimes come into the office at Fire Labor. But yeah, we can meet anywhere. Excellent. Fantastic. Michael, Derek from Smooth, fantastic having you on the show. Vote now. Details coming up. We'll put it all in the show yeah, notes. Yeah. Thank um, you, Vote. Yeah, excellent. Fantastic. Vogt. All the best, guys. Thank you. Thanks. Very. Thanks, Graham. Hey, thanks, Pete. That was Pitch Deck Asia. My name's Graham Brown. Pitch Deck Asia is a platform to give startups in Asia a voice. We give them a show to help them tell their story. And if you love these startup stories and like hearing more about the 
journeys of the founders. Go and check out our channel, which is available at pitchdeck.asia. That's pitchdeck.asia. Head along to the channel, subscribe, follow us, and feel free to leave a comment or a rating on our channel as well. We'd love to hear your feedback.